In this episode of Stats and Short Stories, we're going to take a time machine back to the late 1800s and find out that Chicago was hopping, not just in terms of nightlife and other things, but in terms of statistics. Who would have thought a settlement house would be a place that you would find insight into data of their communities? Today, Sharon Laura is joining us to talk about this place and the special people that were part of this place. So Sharon, welcome and glad you could join us. Well, thank you for having me. Sharon, could you could you give us an idea of what what is a settlement house and what attracted these people to to work there? Okay, a settlement house was um, a residence in generally a working class area of the city, and in Chicago, Hull House was probably the best known of these, and um, you know the site still stands. It's on the um, the campus of the University of Illinois at uh, Chicago, and it's a museum there. Really? Yes. Oh, cool. And so what happened is uh, men and women would reside there, and they would work with the communities in the neighborhood. And so at Hull House, they'd have educational programs, they'd have lectures, they had a daycare, you know, you name it. They had, you know, all kinds of social services for the community. And they also attracted residents from all over. Well, two of the residents that you that you highlight in some of your writing include Florence, Florence Kelly and Agnes Sinclair Holbrook. So what what was what was special about these two individuals and what what drew them to, to Hall House and what did they do when they were there? Well, Florence Kelly was an amazing woman and she was active in all kinds of movements at the time. But I think a big attraction of of all of the settlement houses is that they were a way for educated women to use their education at the time, Mm. right? So there was communal dining. They didn't have to prepare food. There was, you know, important work to be done that they could, you know, feel they were of uh, service to the community. And... I don't know exactly what attracted these two particular women there, but I do know that Florence Kelly ended up at Hull House after escaping basically an abusive marriage in New York City. And so she fled to Chicago and she um, went into residence at Hull House right after that. Agnes Sinclair Holbrook went to Chicago after graduating from Wellesley College and she was attracted by, I believe she was taking courses at the University of Chicago at the time. And, you know, other than that, she did not leave that many uh, papers explaining, you know, her motivation in there. But she did write a le- an article later where, you know, she talked about just all of the activities that she, they did at Hull House. You know, she said, teaching, conducting clubs, visiting, entertaining, managing picnics and country parties, uh, connecting the diseased and needy with hospitals and charitable institutions, advising the perplexed and distressed on points of law, finding employment. I mean, so she was doing all of these sorts of activities during the day. Who supported these these settlement houses? Where did the who who organized them? Who supported them? How did they get started? Well, Jane Adams and Ellen Gates Starr had supported Hull House, and residents paid their own board 
to be there. So, and then there were various, you know, donors who would support different programs at, at the uh, settlement houses. Data visualization is such a, a big uh, interest area for journalists as well as statisticians. And on your, on your site, on your blog, you write about these maps um, that were produced about Hull, Hull House or of Hull, the Hull House area. Could you talk a little bit about why these maps are so interesting and maybe what we, as people who are thinking about how to visualize data usefully, could learn from looking and studying these maps? Well, we're now at the 125th anniversary of these maps. They came out in 1895. Wow. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write about them this year. And um, they are one of the earliest examples of just color coding the entire neighborhood so that you could see the patterns in the data. Now, the data w for this particular um, mapping, these were not collected by the Hull House residents. They were collected by the U.S. Department of Labor. And Carol Wright, who was um, then the Commissioner of Labor, uh, published this long, long, long volume of tables from the data. But you learn more from one of these graphs than you can learn from any of the tables because what they did is they displayed, well, here are the different levels of wages earned by, you know, families in particular locations. And here are the um, nativity data for those same individuals in the data. And so you can correlate those. You can see the patterns, you can see the clusters in the data Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're really compelling. Yeah, they are very much so. And I want to think that, that there's also this tie to, to some of the, the uh, sweatshop conditions and poverty components. And, you know, you know you're talking about the 125th anniversary of, of uh, the publishing of this. It's also the 50th anniversary of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. So in terms of, you know, th so there was this, you know, this is this was er very, very early occupational health information and data. But then there was also pandemic-related information that they were in investigating, like this, the, the smallpox that they were seeing surface in, uh, in, this, in some of these factories. So I, I, I found myself thinking, oh my goodness, I, you, know, I, you know, you take that time machine back 125 years and you're reading a lot of headlines and working on the same kind of problems that we're encountering, you're encountering today. And you know, you, I don't think I've seen anybody talk about contact tracing as a uh, as snowball sampling, but it, but I think that's kind of neat. So, can you talk a little bit about kind of the occupational research motivation for some of these these women, and also some of the 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 impact on on things that we're learning as we as we're we're dealing with a pandemic now, and how they they addressed it then. Well, Florence Kelly was actually the state factory inspector at the time, and this was a landmark. She was the first woman to hold a statewide office in Illinois. Wow. And so she fought for um, occupational safety. She fought for child labor laws. Uh, she also fought for women's suffrage, which we also have an anniversary of this year. And in, in fact, for all of these women, 
um, there was this big connection between gathering statistics and the fight for women's suffrage mm. because they knew they had to have good data to counteract the arguments of the right. time. And it was something that, you know, they were not just fighting for it. They had to persuade men to vote for suffrage, mm -hmm. right? So it wasn't mm -hmm. just, you know, convincing other women. It was convincing the men to finally pass that amendment and give suffrage. And so all of these things were interconnected because we're seeing the same sorts of patterns right now and making sure that everyone can vote. And they had that battle as well in the 1890s and through the, the 19-teens. One of the interesting things I found is that, so Florence Kelly and Agnes Sinclair Holbrook both are living in the settlement house, in Hull House, but they also contributed to the collection of data to help people understand, sort of, to help to create these visualizations. And I think it's sort of interesting, sort of this idea of sort of being in the space and understanding the space as you're collecting the data so that you can maybe perhaps better contextualize the data that you're finding. And I just find that sort of real, a really interesting point to all of this is that these people were living and breathing this as they were collecting this data. That, that is such an excellent point. And they knew the neighborhood that they mm -hmm. were creating the maps about and that they were writing about. And uh, Florence Kelly had done a previous uh, data collection in there for the state of Illinois. And she um, had also done this investigation for the smallpox epidemic that, you know, was taking place at about the, the same time. And, you know, 1893, when all of this data collection was going on, that was a year kind of like 2020, because they had the smallpox epidemic going on in Chicago. They had, right, the panic of 1893. They had the depression. It was, it was not a good year for people in Chicago. And they were collecting data about it at the time. And they were writing about the conditions based on statistics. And I think a big lesson from that was just how crucial having good statistics is when you are in a time of crisis. Uh, and that's what Florence Kelly wrote about with the, you know, the smallpox outbreak. You know, she said, we have to have good data about this. And we need to know where the Board of Health needs to vaccinate people and how to control this epidemic. I'm afraid we're going to have to, to, to bring it to a close, but I can't imagine a better place to stop. So that's a so thank you. That, that's, thank you, Sharon. That was great. This is this is all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Short Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.